7. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, church. How's it going? It's great to be in Fremantle this morning on this beautiful spring day. A uh, big thank you to Pastor Lee Hinkle, who's got me down here to do a couple of talks while he's away. He's back in the States telling everyone in America about all the amazing things that are going on in Frio. So he's told me that he's watching me this morning. Uh, this is being filmed and he's watching online. So why don't we all say g'day Lee. Hey Lee. <laughs> cool. So um, thank you so much for the, the passage um, reading today and the, this passage we're looking at, this conversation between Jesus and his disciples as he prepares them for life without him. He prepares them for opposition that they are going to face. So let's just pray briefly as we prepare ourselves to try and unpackage this piece of scripture. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can be here this morning and that you can uh, teach us, you can mold us, you can uh, bring us closer to you through your word. I pray that we can unpack this Lord and as we this morning think about opposition, that people here today will maybe recall some accounts where they've felt opposition or where they've been nervous about facing opposition and that you can prepare us better for how we go out into the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so as I mentioned, we're looking this morning at a conversation, an interaction with Jesus and his disciples. So where we're up to in John 15, we've just had the Last Supper. So the chapters sort of all around this area are Jesus sitting with his disciples in the upper room and he is having his time to speak with them and prepare them for his death and for life where he will no longer be around them. Um, so this morning if you're a, um, a note taker we're going to have three questions that we're going to try and work through. We've got a who, a why and a how. So let's start with our question of who. Who are we facing opposition from? This passage starts with, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So who's Jesus talking about when he says the world? 
I think when we're trying to unpack this, it's important to not just think of the world as all the individuals, the people in the world, but something a little more broad. I think it's important to think about the world as a system, or maybe the world as culture, the world as sort of a way of thinking, the attitude of the world, rather than just an individual's opinion. Um, I think it's pretty helpful to, to actually start thinking like that, otherwise perhaps you're like me and you sit in, a, in an office full of colleagues that you might suspect probably none of them are actually Christian, and when you're sort of reading that passage about the world hating you, it gets a little bit scary when you think you might share with them about Jesus when you're just under the assumption they all hate you, and as soon as you say it, you're out. We need to make it a little more broad than that. There might be some opposition in your office from Christianity, but if we're thinking it always as an individual, we'll find ourselves a little bit stuck when we're trying to evangelise. Think about the opposition Jesus himself faced. It came from individuals, but it also was a little more broad than that. In fact, it came from an entire religion. Uh, This is leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And as we remember it, sometimes we can get a bit fuzzy on the story when it's been a couple of months since Easter, and we kind of are like, who, who killed Jesus again? I'm pretty sure it was Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers. And yeah, technically you'd be correct in some of that, but the people that were campaigning for Jesus' death, the people that hated Jesus and wanted to see him on the cross, were the Jewish leaders and the Jewish teachers of the law. See, what they felt was that when Jesus was walking around saying he was God, they saw that as blasphemy. To say that anyone but God is God was outrageous to those Jewish leaders and they hated him for it. They were waiting for a Messiah, a saviour, someone to come and save them and rescue them from Rome, but they didn't think Jesus was him, they didn't recognise him and they campaigned for his death. Now, the disciples, they faced a pretty similar opposition. They had opposition from the Jews as well. As they were spreading the word of Jesus in that first century, the Jews were persecuting them and trying to stop this spread of the word. Uh, They were killed for it, um, and martyrs were seen in that first century. Uh, As time went on in the next couple of centuries, things changed a little bit with the opposition that the church faced. There was still opposition from the Jewish community, but we started now seeing a stronger opposition from the Roman Empire. There started to become this opposition, this political opposition, as these Christians refused to do all the things that the Romans wanted them to do and refused to bow down to Caesar. The Roman leaders would force Christian bishops, demand them to make sacrifices to Roman leaders just to prove that they were allegiance with Rome. The opposition you can see started to become a little more political Uh, and I think as we reflect in 2019 where we are today we can certainly talk about lots and lots of different oppositions the church faces. We can think about some religious oppositions, maybe it's not always Judaism, perhaps it's Islam that also finds it offensive that we would claim Jesus is God. Maybe it's Hinduism that says There's heaps of gods and suggesting there's one, you're on the wrong track. We certainly have a a political opposition. We find ourselves in a sort of secular society where uh, there's an atheistic culture, this idea that there's no God, there's no proof of Him and if you're living your life 
under the impression there is, then you're living in the dark ages and you're not working with progress. We find ourselves in this first century, uh, this century today, with similar oppositions that was faced in the first century. As we think about who all this opposition is coming from, I want us to start to think about why it comes. Could it be that, you know, the opposition face is just sociological? Christianity is not the only group of people that have had faced persecution. Is it just because Christianity is a minority group, sort of going against the grain of society, having different ideas to other small groups? Well, that might be partially true, but I think it's more than just a sociological reason. I think it's a deeply theological reason. I think the reason why Christianity has faced persecution for centuries is not just because we're different to society, but we're different in our theology. It's not just about the way we view the world, but it's a different idea of God. So we're starting to really work out what this why, why the persecution is there. And we've already touched on a couple of reasons why we saw it with the response from the Jews to Jesus, the response from Rome to the first century Christians, the opposition we face today. But what exactly is it about Christianity that sets us in line for such opposition? What's so offensive about it that we can't just sort of sit next to the other ideas comfortably like an Eagles fan and a Dockers fan just sharing a meal? I don't know why we can't do it. Why is it that people would reject him, reject Jesus, even hate him? Why would they hate their creator? Well, we usually find that the central problem of the human heart is pride. C.S. Lewis writes uh, in Mere Christianity, a very famous passage when he says that it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. See, what we're looking at here with the world is that the central problem, the thing that people hate, is being told that their way is not the right way. And I think this is epitomised whenever you're driving a car and you've got someone in the back seat telling you that you need to drive slower and you should have turned left because that's a much better route. We absolutely hate it, don't we? We hate it when people tell us we're doing something wrong. We hate it when people tell us our way is not actually the right way. I just want to step back for a moment and think a little bit more about um, some of these verses here, particularly around verse 21 and 22. If in verse 22 we read, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've sometimes read this passage as this sort of weird, is this like a, a reverse evangelism passage? If, if we didn't tell anyone about Jesus, then they wouldn't have been guilty of their sin. Maybe we should actually be keeping Jesus hush-hush so that they have no excuse. Well, we know this isn't the case. We read it in Romans that we, people know the deeds of their heart, they, that God reveals in His creation who He is and that there is judgment regardless. What we're trying to unravel here is why it's so serious that when there is a rejection of Jesus, it is so absolute that it is a problem. And we read these verses like, whoever hates me hates the Father also. And as I've sort of gotten to know God a bit more over my time, I'm faced with this paradox that uh, the more I'm starting to learn about God, 
uh, the more I realise I don't actually know much about God. But what God does is he makes himself known and he comes to earth in his most clearest form. This great big God, too wide for us to comprehend, comes to us as a man, as Jesus, and he gives us a grasp of having a chance of actually knowing who he is. And so it's this almost acute, concentrate version of God in Jesus which makes it so serious when these people who saw Jesus and rejected him, they're actually rejecting the Creator himself. Imagine um, you're feeling a little bit sick. So you think, all right, I'm going to go to the GP. I'm going to, I hate doctors, but I'm going to go, I'll go get checked out, see what happens. And you get in there and the, the GP says, look, we've got your blood test back. It's not good. You're really sick. Like, nah, it's just, it's just cramps. I just ate some, something spicy the other day. And you're like, no, 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 this is serious. You're fully sick and you're actually going to die. And you're like, are you kidding me? I was just playing sport on the weekend. I've just got a bit of a stomachache. How do you feel about it? Who's, who's going for a second opinion after that? Nobody wants to hear <laughs> that they're dying. Nobody wants to be told that they're so sick, there's no way that they're going to recover from it. That's the kind of reaction people have when they're told about their sin. But that's not just what we're dealing with, is it? We're not just dealing with a diagnosis of sickness. John Carson uh, writes it really nicely when in his commentary on John, he says, the revelation, so this revelation of our sin, our brokenness, simultaneously exposes sin and provides its remedy. The world rejects it, the world that rejects it hates the exposure and denies the need for a remedy. It exposes sin and it provides a remedy. See, we have a cure we have a cure with Jesus that he's actually died for us, that God so loved this world that he actually himself came into it to rescue us from this head-on collision that we were heading straight on for with death and eternal damnation. And the thing is, we're so broken and so sinful that we actually can't claim any credit for our salvation. There's no room for pride in this. We're completely dependent on who God is and how He's saving us. But the cool thing about Christianity, the thing that makes us so different to the other religions, is the work's already done. We can already put our trust in Him because of what He's done on the cross, that He's already died for us and He's already paid our debt. We don't have a religion where our fingers are crossed, that all our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds to keep us out of hell. We're not in a sort of nihilistic, atheistic world view where you know, there's no meaning to all this chaos. We actually have confidence here. Confidence that we can have a relationship and eternal life with our Creator. This is the good news, isn't it? This is the gospel message that we carry. This is what Jesus was giving to his disciples to carry in the first century, what's been carried through churches all the way to our day today. And as we just spend a little bit of a moment just dwelling dwelling on that good news of Jesus, of good news of what he's already done, I think that's going to help how we actually respond to opposition from the world that Jesus warns us about. Um, now, you're probably reading the scripture off your booklet, um, but in the Bible, in my Bible, uh, most Bibles have this kind of um, part of John 15 separate as a 
different section to the start of John 15, but I've included verse 17 just to connect us to the start of John 15. Again, remember, we're up here with Jesus and the disciples and he's sharing with them and encouraging them and preparing them for time without him. And he's just come out of talking about this classic illustration of the vine. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Jesus is the source of life and as we're connected to him, as we abide in his love, we too can produce fruit of love, we too can love each other. And I think it's really important to um, view all of this preparation for opposition of the world with this lens of how we are to carry ourselves, to carry ourselves with love. Uh, but we don't always see that, do we, in, uh, in our society? We don't always sort of see Christians being so well known for their love. I would probably say that everything in popular media is suggesting that a Christian is someone who's judgmental, someone who discriminates, someone who is anti-freedom, anti-progress, anti-this, anti-that. Well, why? Because these Christians keep telling everyone how to live their lives instead of just minding their own business. And I think this uh, is where we all find ourselves treading the fine line of truth and grace. And it's a very fine line at times. How do we share the truth of God's judgment and need for salvation? A need to live for Jesus, but still have grace where we are full of love and full of forgiveness. Is it possible to do on social media? I'm just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I haven't seen anyone quite saved um, from an out of context Bible verse on Instagram, but maybe, maybe it's happening in the next gen. Um, as we try and sort of understand how we're meant to respond to all the different opposition we face in the world, I think the answer lies in looking to Jesus, looking at how our master deals with opposition and trying to carry that into our own lives. Uh, hopefully you can draw to mind a couple of interactions Jesus has had with people uh, as you've read your Bibles, a couple of crucial ones. Perhaps think of some of the examples where Jesus spent time with the Pharisees. Think of when Jesus was speaking with the, the leaders of the Jewish people, the people that were meant to know the law, and look at how he deals with their opposition. He's pretty firm. He's pretty hard. He is debating them. He is rebuking them. He's bold. He's pretty serious. Look at how Jesus responds when he's with the sinners. Look at how gentle how kind and welcoming Jesus is with those sinners. We see him take so much care, so much time to explain his hope and his promises to those people who are so low in society. And as we think about the difference here, we've got these Pharisees who are meant to have known better, these Pharisees who are meant to know exactly what they're meant to be doing. And then we've got these other people who've got no idea who God is and they're so out of reach. Look how different Jesus' response is to them. See, Jesus meets them where they are. His responses are always unique and always acutely aware of where that person is with their sin and also where they're at with God. This is how we want to be. This is how we want to look. Uh, and the good thing is that, is that Jesus has already paved the way. 
He has faced the ultimate hate, the ultimate opposition from the world when he was sent to the cross and he overcame it. We're with him. We're with that guy. And we don't need to get so sort of offended and upset when we hear someone say something bad about Christianity, when we hear someone say something bad about Jesus. See, with Jesus, it's like defending a lion. He needs no protection. If we're being hated, if we're being hated for being a follower of Jesus, I think we're going to have to be okay with that, even if it's not easy. He warns us this is going to happen. We can read it in our scripture this morning. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. I think that when we're talking to people in our workplace, talking to people in our schools, this is where it can start to get a little bit tricky. See, if we're starting to be hated because all we ever talk to people about is how we think all the stuff they're doing in their life is wrong and we're not spending any of our time talking to them about the love of God and His promises, we might find ourselves, we're leaning a little bit too far to the sort of truth side rather than thinking about the grace side of things. Uh, Perhaps you've even found yourself talking to someone, arguing with someone about how to live your life as a Christian and you don't actually know whether they even believe in God or not. You can see the disconnect there. I think it's sort of like you're trying to plan a holiday with a friend. You sit down, you're going to come up with this awesome trip to anywhere you want to go in the world and uh, you all of a sudden start to get a little bit sidetracked and you start finding yourself arguing about the food that you like to eat and the drinks that you like to drink when you're on holiday. All of a sudden you're debating details of a, a trip and you haven't even decided which country you want to go to. It's this classic illustration of where we're not starting with the foundation with people sometimes. We're starting in the detail and we haven't done the groundwork. We don't know where they're at the way Jesus always knew where people were at with him. You've got to be able to tell someone about Jesus before you can start telling them how to live like him. So we think about who our opposition is from. We think about that it's not just the individuals, but it's broad, it's systems. We think about why there's opposition, that people hate being told there's something wrong and hate being told that their way is not the right way. We're also thinking about how we respond. Responding like Jesus with love and meeting them where they are at in their life. And just as I sort of come to a close, I want us to to just remember this, that whilst there will be opposition in the world, there's also going to be attraction. When we're following Jesus really closely, when we look like Him, act like Him, we're watching Him and knowing Him so well as we read our Scriptures, we can actually start to hope that our colleagues, our friends, our family will see that light, see our love for Jesus and be attracted to it. The famous passage in John only a few chapters before in 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How good is that? That's sort of something you don't mind being hated for. Your love for one another. Let's pray and just reflect on this message.
Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this challenge and preparation for opposition. Lord, we just think about the final verses in this passage. We think about your spirit, that we are promised your spirit, that your spirit comes and it helps us in our time of difficulty as we seek the words and ways to interact with our friends and colleagues, that the persecution that's gone on for centuries is proof, Lord, that your spirit is working, that for some amazing reason the church can go through so much struggle and still be here in the 21st century. Lord, I pray that you'll help us um, navigate opposition, that we'll be able to balance truth and balance grace, and that we'll be able to not just get stuck bickering with people about the nitty-gritty and the details, but we'll be able to focus on that origin of love for you and the grace that you bring to us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.